Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker, picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello. Welcome to the Turning of the Bones podcast. I am your host, Colby Marie. Welcome, welcome. It's so nice to be here with you, sitting down for another one of these little chats. And just uh, playing here in the, in the podcast world. All these podcasts out here, all these people sharing their experiences, their stories, what they're interested in. And here we are today, Turning of the Bones. Colby Marie, I hope you're well. I hope this day is finding you exactly how it needs to. If you're resting, if you're full of life, whatever it is, just uh, hope you're meeting it with an open heart, open mind, and uh, listening listening to yourself. I, uh, I'm really excited to be here today. I wanted to sit down and have a little chat about listening. Um, I think it's such a, it's a lost skill. It's an important tool. I know that I haven't always been able to listen. The incessant voice in my head used to just interrupt me. It used to interrupt other people. I remember it was so bad that I used to like have these panic attacks if I had, <laughs> I'd be having conversations with people and um, if I was making direct eye contact and really trying to listen, it was almost like this, this static would come into my brain and this like fog, it was like somebody put cotton balls in my ears and I would just start to slowly breathe fast. I would sweat and it, it would feel like I was having just like tremors in my whole body and like it was definitely a part of my social anxiety. Um, my ego and my identity structure would just be projecting itself so hard that it would just interrupt any ability that I had to listen to somebody else. I remember it was the worst in interviews. <laughs> it really, it was debilitating. I, I sometimes would walk out of conversations and it was like I had no clue what we talked about or what anybody said if I made any sense, which then made the social anxiety even worse. I would walk away feeling like I was an ass or I obviously offended them or did something inappropriate or this person thinks I'm stupid. And I've cleared up a lot of that with learning how to listen. And so today I'm really excited to talk to you about my journey and how I kind of cultivated the ability to to listen to listen to myself to listen to others um, so I think these are these are all little pieces in my mindfulness journey mindfulness has become ubiquitous <laughs> you know when I was working in the schools they would talk about how to help students become mindful. You know, there's a million, there's a whole section, I think, at the bookstore now about mindfulness. And I think listening, this is before I did yoga or meditated. These are kind of the places that I, I started picking up the skills that I would say led to me living a mindful life and being present. Um, because when I'm not living in my brain or in some stories or some projections about myself or the world or others, I'm usually pretty content. And so 
just wanted to share a little bit of that here with you today um, from the bunker here in Denver, Colorado. It is an absolutely glorious spring day. The garden is doing well. My babies are coming up. The squash and zucchini are thriving. I just put some tobacco plants in the earth um, that uh, an indigenous friend of mine gave me. And I'm hoping to continue my healing journey with tobacco by getting some tobacco and grinding it up and not smoking it, but kind of offering it to my ancestors or whoever keeps me craving tobacco. I'm still doing the nicotine lozenges and exercising, keeping my health up, but uh, it's always there. It's always whispering in the background. So I thought, you know, maybe I'd try something out of the box. I'm tired of guilting and shaming myself about enjoying tobacco. I'm tired of thinking about when I'm going to get it. So I thought maybe I could uh, grow some tobacco, have, develop a relationship with the plant, get in touch with the earth, listen to it, uh, maybe offer some to my ancestors. I don't know if they're uh, asking me to smoke because they miss it so much wherever they are the ancestral realm but I got those babies in so I'm really excited to see what that looks like I've never grown tobacco or seen a tobacco plant um, so it's going to be a little discovery a little journey there I've heard the flowers are really beautiful um, my tomatoes are doing good cucumbers kale's coming up yeah it's a beautiful day here went for a, a lovely walk we had the solar eclipse and the extended full moon. Uh, there was a full moon a couple nights ago, but it was at 99% for like three days, which was pretty neat. Uh, so it looked full for about three days. I went for a nice walk last night with my dog at the park as the, the moon was rising and she was wound up. She was barking at everything. She was barking at people, spirits, trees. Uh, she was feeling it getting her her animal animalistic expression on and uh, so we just wandered around and howled at the moon together and now we're here getting ready for a little chat just a reminder this is a crowdfunded listener supported podcast so if you can donate a price of a coffee coffee pint of beer Buy me lunch if you do that if you're finding some benefit here you can go over to patreon www.patreon.com slash turning of the bones or go over to my website there's a link to the patreon www.turningofthebones.com you can also check out my blogs and uh, we can keep trying to build this thing together I'm so happy so grateful for all my listeners friends and family patreon supporters thank you so much you're really enabling me to do what i love to do which is sit down and share my stories share some of the lessons i've learned hopefully they can help you connect feel less alone if you pick something up then great and if it's a benefit to you help me I put a lot of work into creating these planning them uh, it's an emotional roller coaster i have had about an hour and a half of glorious failure. I was trying to do something new with the, the way I was recording the vocals today and it just didn't work. It just flat out didn't work. I would, I would get going. I usually record these in one take. It is the way my brain works best. If I get into a flow, if I kind of lose myself in the flow state, uh, but today just wasn't happening. I kept getting this echo and this delay in my headphones. So I'd I'd say something, say something, it'd come back, come back, and it's really hard, <laughs> it turns out, to record a podcast when you're hearing an echo of yourself in your headphones. And so, yeah, it was a fun adventure. I had to take a lot of deep breaths to to get ready to do this again. So we'll see how this one goes. 
fingers crossed, this microphone, the cords, my interface, the headphones, everything is behaving properly. And I'll be able to just riff here and tell you a little bit about my history, tell you a story about learning how to listen. And I think that listening is kind of, for me, it was a gateway skill to being present and mindful. I, when I, when I first started teaching, I started teaching at Denver Children's Home. It's one of the oldest, I think it is the oldest nonprofit in Colorado. It was started by the wives of the gentlemen, right, in our patriarchal uh, culture. The gentlemen who founded Denver were supported by these women, and these women decided to set up a school and orphanage for the boxcar children. So when Denver was being founded, it was kind of... It was a hub. It was a, a stop off for trains coming from the east, going out to the west, and uh, people would put their kids on trains, or orphans from New York or the East Coast would hop on trains hoping to get uh, basically picked up by farmers, uh, people with businesses, and these kids would come on the trains and have no resources, no families. And so the, the benevolent hearts of these women in Denver decided to create a school to help boxcar children. So children wouldn't wind up in these bad situations with abusive farmers, uh, abusive men, and forcing them basically into labor for room and board. You know, it's a whole history of that in America. Um, and so they set up this school, and it's still still here, still in the original building, which is pretty neat. Um, it's definitely been modified and updated, but that was my first teaching experience, um, was at Denver Children's Home. And it, it currently is a treatment facility, a residential and day treatment facility, which means that during the day it's a school for students who are too unsafe to be and have been deemed too unsafe to be in public schools who have received the interventions and support of public schools and uh, just wasn't working. And so they needed a higher level of care. They needed some therapeutic support. They needed a larger team that was really focused on helping them gain the, the skills to cope with their trauma. A lot of kids in foster care. Then also it had a residential uh, so st students who would live there, um, who were too unsafe to be in the home or who weren't in foster care and had no guardians. And it's a pretty huge thing for a student or a child to be put in a residential facility. It takes a lot of work. The state tries about everything it can to find a family member for the, the kids to go live with. And sometimes their case is too severe. Uh, their behaviors are too challenging and so they need to come stay here or stay there um, I don't still work there <laughs> uh, so that was my first teaching job and to work there you receive a training um, called therapeutic crisis intervention and Therapeutic crisis intervention is one of many uh, trauma-informed modalities for helping children with extreme trauma or PTSD um, who have challenging behaviors and unsafe behaviors. And so it was kind of my first introduction into how complex listening and communication is. And it's still, I'm still awed by it anytime I think about, it's, it's, it's miraculous that we can live in a society that we can communicate almost anything with one another because it's so complex. And so in this training, I learned that about 80% of what we communicate is nonverbal. Uh, as mammals, we are kind of constantly surveying the scene. 
We're looking for facial gestures. We're looking for physical tells that people are safe, that they're telling the truth, that they're focused, they're present. Our brains are constantly receiving communication through nonverbal cues. And then about 20% of what is being literally said is also being communicated, but it's much more people remember how they felt about a conversation much more than what exactly was said in the conversation. And so the first thing I learned was uh, that like my body language was communicating. So if I was interacting with a child who is in crisis and having a trauma response, and a trauma response is basically when somebody has left their frontal lobe and is you're unable to reason with them. They are existing in their emotional center and their amygdala and or their brain stem. And so fight, flight, freeze, or appease, or fawn. And it's, it's hard to rationalize with anybody who is having a PTSD or a trauma response or in the middle of a trigger. And so the first thing I learned was that those students were listening to my body language so if, if I was interacting with somebody, I needed to be mindful of how I was holding my hands. Were my hands in my pockets? Were my arms crossed? Were my fists clenched? Um, because I was communicating whether or not I was safe to this person. And so the first thing I needed to do is I started listening to like my body language. Like what, what am I saying with my body language when I'm stressed? Uh, when I'm talking to a child one-on-one -on -one who has just run out of class and who are trying to keep from running away um, or hurting themselves or somebody else, like what am I, you know, am I, am I moving after them quickly? Am I walking slowly? Am I standing directly square to them or am I at an angle? Am I assuming a threatening or an unthreatening posture? Are my arms crossed? You know, am I showing that I'm defensive or protective or disinterested. Um, and it was really fascinating just <laughs> to become aware of how my eyes and my smile and my shoulders and my hands communicated things to people who needed me to be unthreatening. And so I learned how to hold myself when I was approaching somebody who was upset because how I approached myself communicated whether or not I was safe or not and the goal was to help these children feel safe because they had experienced such intense trauma that they very rarely felt safe and if they got triggered they were completely in fight or flight usually um, sometimes they would freeze very rarely would they fawn uh, or appease, but like usually it was fight or flight and you wanted to help them feel safe and stay safe because the last thing you wanted to see was one of these children get hurt or have them hurt somebody else. And so I learned to listen to my body language, start reading other people's body language in a different way and kind of get centered and aware as soon as I entered a crisis with a child. And the next piece I learned is a really important piece, and it was called active listening. And so active listening is exactly what it sounds like. You're actively listening. You're, you're repeating back to the person what you're hearing. Um, so if a, a child is, you know, upset because something wasn't fair, you say, oh, that sounds, sounds like you're really upset. It sounds like that was felt really unfair to you. Um, it sounds like... That was a really hard class. And then, you know, if you felt like it, give them some empathy, you know, if, if that was natural. But active listening was the first time that I realized that there was a way that I could not have the internal chatter of my brain that's always running, kind of interrupting what somebody else is saying. It forced me to learn how to be present enough to repeat back to the person what I heard them going through. 
And this has a really fascinating effect of helping somebody kind of re-regulate their nervous system when they don't feel safe. It's like they feel heard, they don't feel alone. Uh, and you can kind of really open up a conversation with someone who probably just, you know, let's say just spent the last 15 minutes yelling, fuck you, fuck everybody, this is bullshit, you know, like, you can just say, oh, it sounds like you're really upset. It sounds like what they did really made you angry. And then you, you know, you get into more complex problem solving, but the first step of working with somebody who is escalated or elevated emotionally, whether they're distraught or sad or raging, is to assume an un, to take on an unassuming posture, to be aware of your body language. What are you communicating with your body language? Because this person's going to be picking up on it, and then how do you get your own head out of the way and actively listen so that you can repeat back what you're hearing to them? That's kind of the first step. Um, and I'm not here to like give you a, a therapeutic crisis intervention training, but for me, learning those two skills, how to become aware when I enter a conversation of what my body language is and how to become aware of what the other person is actually telling me. Not my projection, because a lot of times when we think we're listening, we're just projecting what we think the person is saying, but actually checking in with the other person and say, you know, what I heard you say was blank. And if you're wrong, then they have a chance to clearly communicate what they meant, you know, and this doesn't have to happen with somebody in <laughs> who's in a crisis. This could happen with your mom or your friends, like... Because all the time, our brains are projecting what we think reality is. And very rarely do we, we listen deeply to what's going on. You know, this is part of what meditation helps us with, is like recognizing our own thought patterns, uh, kind of sorting through the static of our own thoughts, our own e egoic projections onto the world, the way that hearing somebody else tell a story brings up a story for us. This was kind of my first taste of learning how to be mindful. And I know that being mindful is, you know, you can't go anywhere without mindfulness. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole section of the bookstore. It's, it's in vogue, you know, and I think there's a good reason for that because I think so much of our, our discomfort comes from not being present, um, from being lost in our heads. And when I started the treatment facility, I had, I had no skills for this. And this training really helped me become aware of how little I actually listen to other people. Um, you know, I had friendships, I had families, but like I was always kind of projecting what I thought onto other people. I was always projecting my history, my baggage, my experience onto other people. And so like learning how to actively listen and repeat back to a student what they were going through, it, it mitigated my urge to try to connect with them through my experience. Where I would say, oh yeah, that sucks. I had a teacher do that to me. I totally get it. Like that's, sometimes that's helpful. But like for the most part, when people are upset, people just wanna know that they were heard. Um, I think it's a need that we all share is to be heard and to be seen and you know being mindful of your body language actively listening to the other person like oh it sounds like it sounds like you had a really hard time in math class it sounds like that was really challenging when you know, you kind of tease some empathy in there and then, then people start to feel heard and seen and like what they're experiencing isn't, like life gets really scary when you think you're the only one experiencing something, which is like, okay, so on an ultimate truth level, like, yeah, I'm the only one experiencing Colby's life. You know, I'll, I'll never see outside of anybody else's eyes, but I've had enough similar experiences that like, I can relate to somebody. I can let them know that 
I actually hear and see what they're going through um, and that it sounds hard or it sounds scary or it sounds challenging. And so that was kind of my, my introduction into listening. And the more I did it, the better I got at it. You know, I think I had a natural tendency to want to help. I think that I'm the kind of person that when there's a crisis, the world slows down for me. I want to be of service. I want to help other people. Um, and I think it really helps, helps, helps me not feel quite as alone to connect with people through listening. Um, I think that there's so much bullshit in our own heads and in the world, you know, the political narratives, the divisiveness socially, that it's hard to like, it's hard to actually listen to what somebody's saying. Um, and as I, I continue to teach there, I, I noticed that, you know, for the most part, with a pretty high success rate, that if somebody is upset, that if I am mindful of my body language, I actively listen, I repeat back, I'm not living in my story about how this person should be or what I think needed to happen, that eventually we'd be able to kind of problem solve and figure out what needed to happen for the person to feel safe again or to feel heard or to take accountability or kind of continue to feel like they're a part of something and that they're not a scared animal all alone in the world. And I think that's all that any of us want. And so that was, that was like my, that was my introduction. And then I, I continued to Once it, become, it became relevant and salient, I learned that I, I started to see the benefits of listening. You know, listening could help me connect with others. It could also help me uh, get what I wanted because if somebody, I didn't feel like somebody listened to me, I could kind of, I became more aware of it instead of, I mean, <laughs> how many of you have had a conversation with somebody, a, a family member, a friend, a partner, where like you're both just kind of talking at each other and you walk away and you're like, I don't feel any better. Like we didn't get into a fight. We were talking about what was bothering us, but I don't feel like anybody was really heard. Um, and I think that's the root of so many problems. It's I think it's the root of a lot of our suffering is that we don't feel seen or heard for who we are. Um, I know it's a huge part of the, the race problem. It's like there's just a group and a percentage of white people who don't want to hear and can't listen to the stories and the truths and the realities of being black in America or being a person of color or being indigenous or being queer. You know, there's cis heteronormativity and people don't want to don't have the ability to listen and I really didn't plan on you know getting political or social about this but I think it's it's the root of a lot of our suffering and I know for me my suffering personal self-inflicted suffering my my feeling of feelings of loneliness my feelings of disconnectedness those kind of existential fears of being separate and uh, being isolated have, have decreased immensely the more that I've learned how to listen to people and the more that I've 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 learned to trust that if someone's telling you about their reality they're they're probably telling the truth they're they're very few pathological liars like Donald Trump out there, you know, like they're rare. I, I lived with a pathological liar for a year in the dorms in college. And in 44 years, I've only met one person who just for seemingly no reason just lied. You know, it was like, it was impossible to like find a reason, you know, maybe it was like to, 
to fit in or be a, be cool or to be no it's definitely like usually with the lying it's like to fit in and to be loved but like I think most of us want to tell the truth most of us have a vested interest in being in touch with reality and sharing how we feel or what we think is like a part of that and so I think that listening just the more that I've been able to do it it exponentially has increased my quality of life um, so fast forward many many years no 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 it was actually right around the same time so at the treatment facility there was a music program and I love music and there was this really cool program uh, called Youth to Record and they work with traumatized teenagers and they do music therapy and I just like I was blown away when I saw this I was like holy shit this is like the most incredible thing like music has saved my life it has helped me feel connected and seen and heard like when I mean, just think about being a teenager and it's like you hear a song and it's like finally somebody understands me like my mom and my teachers and my friends nobody gets me but uh the cranberries the cranberries get me you know tom york oh my god radiohead thank you you understand <laughs> um and so there was this really cool music program where people came in and like would help these these kids living in the treatment facility or coming they would they would have music therapy and I thought of myself as a musician and I I wasn't at the time because I had realized um, at some point you know making friends with these people who were real musicians and who had bands and performed at like Red Rocks and like they had all kinds of cool people come in from the local community to, to work on this. I think it may have been started by by the founders of the Flowbots, Flo who are super awesome. Uh, I've been to some of their community organi organizing things and activist things, and I've met a couple of the members, and they're really, really genuine, awesome people who care about change. And so I realized, like, I wasn't a real musician. Like, I've thumbed around on the guitar. I could play a song, but, like, I'd also kind of realized around this time, like, I couldn't hear the bass line in a song, you know, like, they would be, I'd go down to the studio with them, and I couldn't hear the bass line, or I couldn't, you know, separate the pieces of the drums, I just heard, like, the, the words and maybe the melody, and so around this time, like, I wanted to get better at music, I, like, was really uh, interested in music therapy, and I kind of like just kind of spontaneously wanted to practice listening to music and so what I would do you know like this was for lots of reasons I wanted to be better at it I wanted to be able to have conversations with actual musicians about music um, I'd heard people say like oh I love the bass line I'm like I can't even hear the bass what what are you listening for and so like I I started listening to music differently because I had my default way I, I listened to music. I had, you know, I wanted to connect with it emotionally and if it, it roused a feeling in my heart and the lyrics were solid and it was good poetry and uh, I could connect with it, then I would listen to it, right? And that's kind of, you know, that's, that's a one-dimensional egoic way to listen to music. It's just an emotional uh, emotional connection, which is fine. I still do it, uh, no shade to anybody who, who likes to connect with music that way, but I wanted to listen to it more deeply, so I started making myself listen to songs and just trying to pay attention to like the drums, you know, like tune out the lyrics, tune out the guitar, I'm just listening, what are the drums doing? You know, it was like boom, 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 it was like doo doo you know what like what was it doing why why did some songs feel different um and then i the hardest one was the bass line but i i slowly started trying to carve out time i do it in the car and my headphones on a run where 
I would just listen to different aspects. I would try to like put my attention on one part of the song. Uh, and then like the song became richer and fuller the more that I practiced this. Um, and it really was something I'd practiced, you know? So if you, if you want to practice listening, <laughs> one really fun way to do it is to take a song that you like and listen to it multiple times. Like one time, just listen to the lyrics, listen to how it was sang. The next time, listen to just the guitar. Like try to focus your attention on just the guitar. Another time, try to just listen to the piano uh, or the bass or the drums and just do that. And I think it's like, for me, it was like a really good way to train my brain to listen objectively and not listen for things that we're going to get it off emotionally. Because I think, you know, it's really natural for us when we're listening to people or music or the news to like find things that are salient and relevant to us to kind of like reinforce um, how we see ourselves in the world. Like it kind of like, this is pretty well known, like the echo chamber of social media, like uh, confirmation bias, because enough people agree with this, uh, I'm right. And so I think our egos do the same thing and a way to kind of get around that is by listening. Um, and kind of training our brains to listen to the other aspects, the aspects that we're not emotionally or narratively drawn towards. Um, so that was that was kind of a really fun next step for me in my listening journey. It was kind of the, the therapeutic crisis intervention training, listening to body language and learning that we're actually communicating more with our bodies than with our words and our, our tone totally gets in there too um, and then learning how to actively listen like shut off my brain enough so that I could repeat back to somebody what they were saying uh, go through and listen to to <laughs> to music and listen to the different pieces and different parts to kind of like it was like learning how to concentrate. Like I just needed to learn how to concentrate on different things. It was just a skill. And I think it's a skill that we don't teach um, and we don't come by naturally. Cause I think our identities all kind of want to reinforce themselves. And this is, you know, been talked about in a million different spiritual paths that like our identities just want to make sure we think that they're actually a thing when they're kind of completely made up and, change over time and so at some point years later I, I started meditating and I think I've talked about this before and meditating really helped me listen to just learn how to listen to just the incessant chatter in my brain um, it helped me learn how to listen to how my my emotions influenced my thoughts and how my thoughts influenced my emotions. And they, they made me personally aware of like, what am I listening for? You know, I remember <laughs> during the, the pandemic, somebody was like, are, are you doom scrolling? And I was like, what's that? You know, I meditate, I practice yoga, I'm like doing pretty good, you know, like I'm ahead of the curve. And I was like, holy shit, I've totally doom scroll. Like for months, I was just like the pandemic and Trump and social justice. And he's sending, you know, armed mercenaries to Portland. And like, these were all very super concerning things. But I was like, there was this part of me that like, I was like addicted to the chatter of fear. And I had to just take a break. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, yeah, like all that's happening, but I, I don't need to get all that wound up about it. And I can I can read the news in doses instead of just continuously getting whatever neurochemical reaction my brain has become addicted to through social media by doom scrolling. Um, and so, you know, I don't profess to be an expert in any of this shit. You know, I have... some exposure to some really awesome therapeutic modalities. I have 
I've had some meditation teachers and I continue to practice meditating and trying to sit daily. But, you know, it's like for anybody who hasn't meditated, you know, I think there's kind of, I had this, this false belief that it was just like you're going into the transcendent space. And that happens sometimes and it's cool. You're just like, oh, like everything is peace and it's all one. And But <laughs> I think it misses the point of, for me of what meditation does is meditation for me is a way to check in with myself every morning and listen to how I'm doing. Like what is going on for me? Um, like what what's my brain just focusing on what thoughts are popping up what what thought trains of thought am i having a hard time letting go of and refocusing my attention on my breath or my whole body or you know what it's kind of like a diagnostic tool you know if like so i was a literacy specialist and if somebody was having a hard time reading, you would give them tests to try to pinpoint, you know, where you should target your interventions. Like if someone was having a hard time with vowel blends, um, you would want to give them some exercises to practice blending vowels, you know, like putting A and I together makes makes it sound different. Like said, eh, S-A-I-D, eh, is different than the sound that A and I make by themselves, like uh, ah, uh, a, or i, i, e, you know, when you put them together, they make a whole different sound. So you would target an intervention to help a child or a student or whoever just work on what happens when A and I are together. <laughs> and I feel like meditation and learning how to listen has helped me kind of target my interventions you know like if I'm noticing that I'm extraordinarily like the thought keeps coming up let's try and find one let me see so last night I had a dream that I was spending time with an ex of mine who we had an amicable, amicable, amicable breakup. Um, we're still friends, uh, stay in touch, talk a couple times a year. Um, still adore this person. We were engaged to be married. And I had this dream last night that we were like hanging out. And I haven't seen this person in years. Um, and every time I do, I'm pretty happy. And so like I had this dream last night and I woke up and I was like, oh, cool. I had a dream with uh, Amy in it. That's pretty neat. You know, like and I felt better like the past couple of days. I've just felt like kind of grumpy and angry. And I just felt like a little off, um, felt stressed with work and planning. And I'm trying to go on a trip and get everything done. And nothing was wrong. I just I felt overwhelmed. And then I, I had this dream last night. And I woke up and I felt like a little bit better. And like, I don't know if there was a one-to-one -one correlation, if it just felt good to see Amy and that like made me completely less stressed about the rest of my life. I don't think that's true. Um, but I noticed in meditation, my brain kind of kept going to like these memories of our relationship. Um, and the majority of the memories I was having in meditation were full of shame or guilt, right? Like I had this beautiful dream where like we're hanging out, we're having fun. I think we even made out in the dream. But then when I sat in my meditation this morning, I completely went down shame alley and just like I couldn't quit thinking of the, th like the, the thoughts kept popping up of all the things I had done wrong. And so it was just kind of like this little diagnostic tool, you know, like I kind of sat, I felt some of the discomfort. And then I, I was like, when I finished my meditation, I, I thought about it for a bit and I was like, wow, you know, like I still take on a lot of personal responsibility for when things don't work out the way I thought they should. Or when I think that I hurt somebody, 
like even without like in this relationship all the apologies have been said and accepted but i still have this piece of me that feels guilty and that's okay you know like i'll work through that i'll heal that slowly but it, the meditation and the dream kind of gave me this diagnostic thing like oh i still have i still have some complex feelings there you know and I don't need to do anything with them. You know, I think that listening has really taught me that I don't always have to say something or do something. Sometimes it's okay to just keep listening. Um, but meditation is just like a, a diagnostic tool. Like, this is what my brain is thinking about. This is... Uh, this is still how I see myself... Um, these are the the needs or the areas of my life that I, I I still need some practice owning you know these are these are components of who I am that I haven't totally reconciled you know I haven't I haven't reconciled you know, 10 years after this relationship ended, I've done a lot of work, but there's still like a little bit to do. You know, I just took, I had a little test in my meditation and I was like, oh, there's still some shame around some of my behaviors. There's still some shame around some of the things that I, I want and need in this world that I didn't know how to ask for 10 years ago and that I'm still nervous to ask for. And it's kind of a cool thing, learning how to listen. Um, you know, being able to talk about music in a more dynamic way with musicians. Um, I think about it, it's like our palate, you know, like we learn how to identify certain tastes, but like I think it's the same thing with listening. We need to practice it. We need to refine our ear. Um, and it's fun, you know, I, I like I feel really lucky I'm losing my hearing. Um, I have horrible tinnitus, and I really, <laughs> I deeply value my ability to hear things and to hear them like clearly, whether it's a person or the wind in the trees or a plane flying over or my dog kind of doing her cute little stretch howl in the morning when we're cuddling. Like, there's this richness to listening because I know that I won't always be able to do it um, I know that my hearing is deteriorating and that's okay um, because I can listen and probably get hearing aids someday <laughs> I'll be fine not to worry about me but uh, that was like a little story because I think that listening is one of the most important skills that we can develop as a human to sort through our own bullshit to sort through the bullshit out there in the world um, to know when you know I'm deceiving myself or I have some work to do or I'm deceiving other people or other people are deceiving me or you know learning how to listen is is invaluable and I wish that we we just we taught it to children right away in school um, not like you know the way that it, it's structured in this country now it's like obedience it's not listening like I've heard before like you know one of the, the weapons that my dad has slung at me in the past is you just don't fucking listen and it's like, well, no, like, there's a difference. Like, I do listen. I'm just not obedient. Um, I didn't buy into all the bullshit. And there's a difference. So, like, I want to make sure that I make that distinction because a lot of people get guilted and shamed that they don't listen um, when actually there's just, they're not buying into some bullshit, you know? Like, there was something inherently... I was just having this conversation with my sister the other day. There's something inherently wrong with the system capitalism public education colonialism racism and 
if you speak up or step out of line, a lot of times people are like, well, you just don't listen or, you know, you're a troublemaker, but it's like, there's a difference between listening and obedience. And I think that a lot of times in this country, people use power to uh, intimidate people about listening. Um, yeah, watch videos about cops or anything like that. Um, I'm listening just fine, officer. You're just, you're just being out of line. Um, so yeah, a little bit of a tangent there at the end. But I hope that uh, this podcast, hope you're able to listen to it all the way through. Hope I hit a sweet spot trying to shoot for 45 minutes and I hope that uh, it's helped you reflect a little bit about your journey with listening and how you were taught to listen maybe how your family taught you to listen maybe how society and schools taught you to listen or you know confuse obedience and compliance with listening um, you know what's your relationship with music what's your relationship with your thoughts Pretty neat stuff, but I know that for me, learning how to listen has been one of the deep joys in my life and deeply listening to the sounds around me. If I go to a park, just sit down, shut my eyes for a minute, kind of listen to the sounds around me. It's a, it's a big, full world out there, and there's lots of stuff to hear, um, and we're all trying to connect. We're all trying to be seen, be heard, we want to connect. I think it's one of the most important nourishing parts of being a human is connecting. So hope this finds you well. Take care and have a really, really nice day. You beautiful beings, you lovely lambs. All right, be well. Bye now.